Welcome to another installment of Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ. This is the channel that compares what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Now, this is going to be the second of our installments on white Christian nationalism. We have to put the white in there because uh, there's uh, it, Christian nationalism does come in a few different stripes. We're, we're dealing with the kind that embraces fascism and uh, uses the same ideology historic as historic Nazism does. Now, that I'm not throwing the term Nazi out as just some just kind of a pejorative, you know, just to say that rhetorically they're just a bunch of Nazis. No, that's actually a, a term I'm using academically because they are embracing forms of Nazism. And so we're going to be talking about Corey Mahler again, and woe, and we're going to be looking at tweets, and we're going to be debunking their misuse of scripture. And uh, and I, I got to say up front, yeah, we're back on the other platform rather than on YouTube, because if we put this stuff on YouTube, we'd lose our channel. Uh, and uh, again, the uh, the YouTube algorithm, the uh, AI behind it, doesn't make a distinction between those who are criticizing this stuff and those who are promoting it. And as a result of that, we can't risk losing our channel over it. That's why we're putting this on this channel here that you're watching it, an alternative source, if you would. And uh, those of you on Rumble, we've, we've made the executive decision. We're going to make sure that in the future, we release our videos on Rumble as well. So, uh, you know, it's, it's turned out to be a good platform for us, and we're pretty excited about it. So let me whirl up the desktop today, and, um, and we are going to take a look at a few things here. Uh, and where to start is, is kind of the is the thing. What, what's the on-ramp uh, on into this stuff is probably the right question. This might be the way I want to go. But before we get there, let's uh, let me open up my keynote. And I want to show you, because what we're going to talk about here today, we're going to talk about eugenics. We're going to talk about so-called biological determinism. Uh, yeah, if you're familiar with that, was it Rudolf Hess? He, one of the Nazis, basically said that uh, uh, you know the National Socialism is applied biology. Uh, so if you're thinking, why are why why were the Nazis so obsessed with race? Well, they were into eugenics, is the best way to put it. But to kind of like look at how this works, at least in the mind of Corey Mahler. And um, boy, you know, this, this guy's a fun guy. Um, so listen to this tweet, and it says this. It's all of a piece. The abolition of slavery led to desegregation, led to miscegenation, which is interracial marriage, led to homosexuality, led to transgenderism. Yeah, and then he says, you cannot accept any step along the path without accepting the terminus which is hell. So in his mind, the abolition of race-based chattel slavery in the United States has led to desegregation, which in his mind is a bad thing, which has led to miscegenation, uh, you know, the ability for people who have different skin colors uh, from different ethnicities to marry each other. And that has led to homosexuality, which has then led to transgenderism. And you just sit there and you go, how on earth do you embrace an ideology that's so wicked that it sees that this is some kind of a slippery slope, that the abolition of slavery has led to Bruce Jenner wearing a dress? I mean, 
I have no idea how you get there. But that being the case, there's a little bit more to this. And I, I want you to kind of see the evidence of their ideology in action. And then we'll explain how it works and how biblically you can't be embracing this stuff. Okay. Next up, Satan hates and wants to destroy everything that God has made. Okay, all right, I'll go with that. God made the races of men, he said. Guess who wants to muddy the races? Uh, you know, the, uh, the races, <laughs> guess whom those who want to muddy the races serve? Mm, I see. So this is one of the reasons why I believe these guys think that race is sacrosanct. And uh, boy, oh boy, you know, <laughs> you know, they they try to deny it, but Mahler and his uh, henchmen, they all seem to go that route, okay? And then, <clears throat> check this one out. Africans are not our brothers and should not be admitted to our countries. Uh, whether as supposed refugees or otherwise, let their brothers in neighboring countries support them if necessary. Okay, all right. And then this one, um, I put up a photograph, a tweet, and showed the famous Robert Frank photograph from his book, The Americans, and uh, it which shows racial segregation, you know, blacks in the back of the bus, whites in the front of the bus. And then I basically said, maybe Corey Mahler and his Mahlerites can explain to us how requiring people of African descent to ride in the back of the bus prevents homicides. After all, according to them, segregation is all about love for neighbor. And here's what he said. Easy. It worked. If doing X prevents your children from dying, are you really going to hold off on doing X until you fully understand why it prevents your children from dying? If so, you, you should be institutionalized. So it is not, um, how shall I say it? It is not a, a besmirching of his character. It is not some kind of malice-filled slander on my part when I say that Corey Mahler and the Mahlerites are legitimately arguing for segregation. And I would note there are some tweets that he recently put out that make me wonder if he's not also calling for, um, for Africans to be re-enslaved in the United States. Yeah, I'm musing at the moment, but uh, I have reason to muse out loud in such a way. So where does this all come from? What is going on here? And the answer to that question, by the way, is the question of eugenics. Now, we're going to spend a little bit of time kind of working all of this out. And one of the things I like to do is to give homework assignments, okay? And if you are really truly interested in learning about what is this ideology that Corey Mahler is embracing and promoting, and where where does this all come from, uh, and how does eugenics play into it, I have a few books that I think you might want to uh, to uh, take a look at. And uh, the, the first one regarding eugenics is called The Nazi Connection, uh, Eugenics, American Racism, and German National Socialism. This is probably the best text I've read on the topic. And, uh, and so I, one of the things I can say is that Nazism has been a, and uh, fascism has been a, a hobby of mine, a, a research project hobby of mine for more than a decade. And uh, this book on talking about eugenics is like the best I've seen out there that explains it. And I'll give you kind of a rough cut as to how you can kind of, how you re recognize these things. Uh, but if you want a primer itself 
on fascist ideology, because a lot of people do not understand what fascism is, cannot highly recommend this enough. Uh, the book is called Modern Fascism by uh, Jean Edward Veith. Dr. Veith did a fantastic job here of basically uh, introducing us to the basic ideological concepts of fascism and some of the uh, some of the influences where it comes from. Uh, fascism is not is not some kind of like logical political outcropping that grows organically as a result of faithfulness to the, the to Christian doctrine. That's what the Mollerites would have you believe. Instead, it's a, it's a very radical leftist ideology that is related to Marxism. It's, in fact, it's kind of a marrying of Italian syndicalism and something called, uh, you know, uh, let's see, uh, the French uh, Revolutionary Re Re Reformation Movement, something like that. I forget the exact name off the top of my head. It's been a while since I've read, Ze read Zev Sternhell on this. But uh, but uh, the French, what they were trying to do was kind of come up with their own version of Marxism. And so they came up with an anti-materialist version of Marxism, which then got married to uh, Italian syndicalism. And that's where... Uh, that's where uh, fascism actually comes from. It's, it's not a Christian ideology at all. And so uh, modern fascism delves into just a little bit of that, explaining where it all comes from. And uh, of course, the, 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 if you really want to do like a deep dive, and let me, in fact, let me show you this. If you want to do it, uh, it's Zev Sternhell. Uh, I spelled his name wrong. Z-E-E-V Sternhell. Uh, and you want to know where uh, fascist ideology actually came from. This is a tough book to work through. It's very ponderous and difficult, requires expanding your vocabulary, looking words up that you had no idea even existed. Uh, but it is well worth it. Uh, the Birth of, of uh, Fascist Ideology by Zev Sternheld. This is a fantastic book if you're looking to, uh, to do some more research on where does fascism come from. I, I'll put links down below in the, uh, in the description just so you can kind of work, you know, work your way through it. And then there's one more that we're going to take a look at, uh, but I'm getting ahead of myself talking about the curse of Ham. So, uh, but uh, we'll talk about this one a little bit later in this episode. So let's talk about now how eugenics works. Eugenics is not science. What eugenics is, is pseudoscience. And it's designed to basically take scientific data and apply kind of quackery to it and uh, in, 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 in weaving it into weird uh, conspiracy narratives and things like this, which will result in kind of two things. You can talk about eugenics in a positive sense, and you can talk about eugenics in a negative sense. Uh, both of them are, are based on quackery, but the idea is, is that positive eugenics would be uh, what would be like the Nazi ex example of what they called um, uh, genetic hygiene. Uh, you you want to make sure that you procreate with people who are genetically fit, uh, that are part of the Aryan race. And so, and so the idea is to somehow try to improve your, uh, the, the, the genes within your gene pool. And so that's so-called positive uh, eugenics. Negative eugenics is going to basically result in genocide. It's going to result in segregation and things like this. And there's a way in which it works. And I'll explain it here. I explain it on my Twitter account. Um, and so if you're not following my Twitter account, uh, I, I'm not requiring you to do so. But if you're if you're interested in actually kind of like following along with the arguments that I've been putting out against uh, Mahler and his uh, and his fascistic henchmen, 
this is the place where it's kind of sitting as a repository. I'm going to be working with a website to, you know, some people who are putting another website together, see if we can't move some of this stuff over there to, you know, so that it has a little more easy, you know, easy getting at kind of power behind it. But that's, that's, that's in the discussions at the moment. But all that being said, Listen to what eugenics is. Eugenics and so-called biological determinism are quack forms of pseudoscience and were a big part of Hitler's Nazi ideology. Now, the stoned choir Mollerites, yeah, we're calling them the stone choir guys for a reason here, uh, who openly agree with Nazi, Nazi ideology also utilize eugenics and biological determinism in an attempt to make their racial policies, and I can only describe their racial policies as based on pure hatred for neighbor. I have no other way to describe what I'm seeing. Their racial policy, to make their racial policies appear intelligent, scientific, reasonable, and then based on reality. This is, this is a big part of the facade that these guys are putting forward. So how does the pseudoscience of eugenics and biological determinism work? Uh, the steps are actually quite simple. Uh, you begin with a snippet of factual scientific data. You then interpret that data through conjecture and quack narratives in order to make it appear that the problem is due to an inherent corruption of the race in, uh, of the DNA of the race in question. That's that's the. It's all about being able to basically say, well, scientifically, we know that people from X, Y, and Z ethnicity, their, their, their DNA is corrupted. That's the reason why this thing is showing up, right? And then what do, what do you do then? You propose policies and laws to correct the problem uh, that are based on these quack pseudoscientific narratives. So in this short video, we put the short video on, on, on my Twitter account, uh, the stoned choir Mollerites are going to take crime statistics. These are true crime statistics, by the way. We, won't, we don't quibble with the actual statistics. They do the same thing with IQ, by the way. Uh, take these crime statistics uh, and related to those of African descent and then explain that the reason for these statistics is because African DNA has been corrupted by thousands of years of demon worship and then inferred that racial segregation is needed in order to protect white Europeans from this plague. And they do use plague uh, language here. So once you see how eugenics and biological determinism works, you cannot unsee it. This isn't science. This is complete quack quackery is the best best way i can put it so what we're going to do we're going to listen to this clip and um i'll probably pause it a couple of times along the way but as you're listening to it you need to listen to how they're arguing and i'll point out the 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 pseudoscientific bit because the pseudo-scientific bit has to deal with their claim. Well, it's obviously uh, people of African descent, they say, uh, have had their DNA corrupted by thousands of years of, of, of demon worship. Okay, so watch how this game is played. Original sin corrupts our nature. Insofar as anything good remains in human nature, that is from God. So the fact that men are attracted to women, that is from God. The fact that women are attracted to men, that is from God. The fact that certain populations have a genetic predisposition to criminality. Okay, did you catch what he said? Certain races have a genetic predisposition for criminality. That is his claim. And he's using eugenics, which isn't science, it's pseudoscience, 
to try to make it look like this is factual scientific reality. Some races have a proclivity for criminality, and it's down on the DNA level. That's what he claims. Now, I'm going to back this up just a little bit. God, the fact that women are attracted to men, that is from God. The fact that certain populations have a genetic predisposition to criminality is not from God. That is a corruption of their nature due to original sin and due to generational worship of demons. There are real consequences in the real world, in the flesh, for those who worship demons. And these accrue over time, we clearly see, from history and from nature. Okay, now notice. We see, we see that these corruptions by worshiping demons accrue over time. And what do we see it in? Not in scientific studies. So when I posted this up here, uh, some of the stoned choir Mollerites uh, came to the defense of their eugenics concepts. And I kept asking them, every single one of them, produce one scientific study that proves that thousands of years of worshiping demons corrupts people's DNA and makes them more likely to engage in criminal behavior. Show me one scientific study that says that. And they can't because that's the quack bit. <laughs> okay? So so they they could they could point to like real crime statistics, you know, regarding crime in America and who's committing those crimes and 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 what their race is and and what proportions. I'm not quibbling with the crime data. And instead, what I'm quibbling with is the eugenic argument in the middle of this, which is quack science. There, is, there are no scientific studies that have sitting there and said, well, we're going to prove whether or not thousands of years of worshiping demons leads to a race of people being more prone to criminality. There is no science that says this. So if you don't know how eugenics works and how the sleight of hand works, how the, the quackery gets introduced with the scientific data, then it's easy for you to be deceived by guys like this. Because what they sound, it sounds so reasonable. Well, of course. Yes. Yes, that makes total sense. So uh, let's, let's keep going with the argument and I'll show you another way to debunk it. It is not consequence free. If your ancestors for 6,000 years, give or take, worshipped demons, God blesses those who obey. He just as certainly curses those who rebel. And that is what we are dealing with here. We see these issues in certain populations because their ancestors worshipped demons. Mm-hmm. Said no scientific study ever. As Christians who are honest, we must now. This is woe. Deal with the facts. We must deal with Scripture. We got to deal with the facts. We got to deal with Scripture. We, we got to adopt reality, right? And reality is, we need to go back to segregation. We need to deport people from different races. Maybe re, re enslave them even. Mm hmm. And we must also deal with the human beings in front of us. And if the human being in front of you is 120 times more likely to rape your sister or your wife or your mother or your children. This is straight up race baiting at this point. That, that's what exactly he's engaging. This is just flat out race baiting. You must be cognizant of that. You can't ignore it. You can't pretend it's socioeconomic factors. You have to deal with it. And you must deal with the fact that even though not all Africans are rapists, there are so many more who rape and murder that it is a societal plague 
in our own lands and in every land where they go. So preventing the problem from occurring and preventing the problem from occurring preventing the problem from occurring how does one prevent the problem from occurring well we already saw that right we know from his twitter account the way you prevent crime from you know crime from occurring is you go back to segregation that's how you do it this is what they're arguing for it's it's sick when you think about it. Instead of addressing it once it occurs, to go back to the issue of rape, what is going to be better for a woman who is raped if you had prevented the rape or if you punished the rapist? I don't think that's a very hard call to make. I think most people can probably make that one. The same for someone who is severely mentally disabled. What's better, carefully monitoring that person and controlling what he does or letting him run free and then injuring himself or others. Well, of course you want to prevent him from injuring himself or others. It's all about crime prevention. We've, we've got to prevent crime. And so there are certain things you have to do in society to take into account the abilities of different groups of people and of different individuals in society. We have not been doing that for decades now. Right. How long has it been since we got rid of segregation? We closed the asylum, for instance. We basically let the mentally unwell roam the streets now. Usually this causes minor property damage and significant damage to those individuals themselves. Many of them wind up dying of overdoses in the streets. That's a very real moral problem. That is something we are not addressing as a society. This is akin to that, because you are dealing with something that has a biological basis in the individual and in see if you if you if you grant the premise of the quack science the only conclusion is segregation but this will fall apart in a second i'll show you why in groups of individuals and you have to account for that in how you run your society because it is a moral question if you ignore it what you are doing is immoral ignoring it is the actual sin here Yes, if you ignore it, if you don't go back to segregation and, and probably slavery, then you know, you're, you're immoral. That's what they're arguing. But here's where it falls apart, okay? Again, eugenics is not science. It's quack science. Let's apply the same logic to a different data set, okay? So here, here's the facts. 81.3% of child porn offenders are white men. This is an actual crime statistic. The, the, the little graphic that I have here is from the U.S. government. Okay, I, I just want you to let that sink in. 81.3% of child porn offenders are white. Okay, So if I were to apply the magical pseudoscience of eugenics to this factual crime statistic, uh, then I could say something like, well, Black Lives Matter is justified in calling for segregation and deportation of white Europeans because clearly the thousands of years of whites worshiping Norse and Celtic demons has caused a significant corruption of European DNA, which causes them to be pedophiles at a higher rate than other races. Therefore, in order to protect the children, we must 
enact these policies immediately. White people, get get out of here. Okay. You see how this works? You see the problem yet? The problem is the eugenic argument. The problem is they're interpreting the data through quack science. Again, which scientific study has been done that proves that thousands of years of demon worship on the part of any particular racial group then results in a higher amount of criminality? I would note something, and that is, is that the people who are ethnically Asian, they've been worshiping Buddha and, you know, and, uh, and, and these Eastern religions, you know, it, it pretty much nonstop for millennia. They don't seem to have a higher criminality rate. Hmm. Do you see that the whole thing starts to break down? And the reason why, again, eugenics isn't science, it's pseudoscience. And as soon as you apply the same argumentation to a different data set, the whole thing falls apart. Now, I'm going to show you this because it, this is tragically um, ridiculous, okay? Absolutely tragically ridiculous, but this also will show you the nature of who we're dealing with, okay? So, um, let's see here. So, you're going to, Walt Mahler says, hey, here, Pirate Christian, here's a concrete question for you. How many white women need to be raped or murdered by black men before you're willing to concede that segregation is better than what we have now? And by the way, we're going we're gonna to get to a biblical underpinning as to why this doesn't work in just a minute. But here's what happened. I put this out there. Okay, I put this out there and I asked, how on earth does Corey Mahler explain how 81% of child porn criminals are white men? How do they explain? And he, and he said they aren't. <laughs> Watch this move, okay? So I said, uh-huh, then please explain the data, okay? He said, sure, show me how many Jews are listed as a perpetrator category. What's his explanation? They're not white men. The, the child porn perps and the pedophiles, they're all Jews. Uh-huh. And I basically said, how convenient. How convenient. You deny the Holocaust in order to suit your false narrative. And now you deny the criminal data and shift blame to the Jews in order to suit your false narrative. Mahlerites are a lot like flat earthers. They don't let facts get in the way of their conspiracy narratives. So, yeah, what, what do they do? They they deny that they're white. Oh, it's it's got to be, you know, the sons of Abraham who did this. This is just flat out anti-Semitism. But here's the thing. They can't go any other way. And the reason why is because if they said, hey, wait a second, you've got a point, their whole arguments based on eugenics come falling apart. They can't allow that to happen. So that's the reason why they, they have to come up with an explanation as to, well, uh, these child porn perps, they're not really white. They're, 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 they're something else. Okay. Again, how does eugenics work? You begin with a snippet of factual scientific data. The data is solid. You, you know, it could be you know, like showing a bell curve distribution of, of uh, IQs based upon race. Okay, that, that's a factual bit of data. Okay, uh, it, it could also be crime statistics, things like this. But then what you do is you interpret the data through conjecture and quack narratives. 
in order to make it appear that the problem is due to an inherent corruption of the race in question, and then you propose laws to correct the problem that are based on these quack pseudoscientific narratives. That's how the game is played. Now, I wanted to show you biblically, why do we not buy into this? There's some good reasons why. And let's come back to Romans chapter 13 and consider what is the job of the left-hand kingdom? Okay, and we talk about the left-hand kingdom. We're talking about the left-hand kingdom of Christ. Why has Christ established governing authorities? What is their function? What is their purpose? Okay, so here's what Paul says in Romans 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. There is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Now, we're going to talk about this in a minute. So part of that charter that God has given is that the governing authorities are not to be a terror to those who are doing good, but to be a terror to those who are doing bad. Okay, would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So what is, what is the government supposed to do? Carry out God's wrath on who? the wrongdoer, okay? Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. But here's the thing. Wrongdoer is established very specifically in Scripture. Here's what Scripture gives. Deuteronomy 19, a single witness shall not suffice against a person, Uh uh-huh, a person, for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. If a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, then both parties to the dispute shall appear before the Lord, before the priest and the judges who are in office in, these, in those days." So here's the idea. Scripture has established the concept of somebody is innocent until they are proven guilty. And this goes down to the level of a single person. Mm -hmm. What does segregation do? Segregation assumes the potential guilt of an entire group of people based on what? Eugenics pseudoscientific arguments. Well, they they perform they they do they do crime at a higher rate than everybody else. Therefore, in order to prevent crime, we have to segregate them. The job of the governing authorities is to punish the evildoer. So we don't get to judge whether or not somebody is guilty of a crime without due process. And that's what segregation is. Segregation basically says you as a group get a different set of laws. You as a group get a different set of laws that presupposes your potential guilt because we know how dangerous you are, right? And, um, 
And while you get the idea, there's no real due process here. It's an upending of the job of the governing authority. The governing authorities are to punish those who do evil. So let, let me kind of go this route. All right, I'm going to add another tab here. And I'm going to look for Candace Owens. All right, Candace Owens. This is one smart lady. And uh, this is a woman who is obviously of African descent. If anyone wants to challenge me on that, feel free, but I don't think we're going to, uh, you're going to win the day. And Candace Owens is a law-abiding citizen of the United States. She is an outspoken critic of CRT and Marxism, and she is just on point. But in Mahler's theology, in Mahler's way of looking, this is a woman who must be segregated. Why? Well, because she is in a group of people that have a, a greater chance of murdering you or raping you or things like this. So um, we, we just, it, I, I don't care the good that she's doing. Um, sorry, but love of neighbor requires me to, uh, to lock her up, segregate her, potentially send her back to Africa. If she sticks around here, maybe we'll re-enslave her. Because, why? Because, well, her ancestors, they, they worship demons for thousands of years, and clearly it's corrupted their DNA. You see what's going on here? She's being judged by her group, not by her deeds. But Scripture requires that the left-hand kingdom, one, punish the evildoer, and two, establishes the threshold for determining who the evildoer is. And that requires evidence and also requires you to assume that somebody is innocent until proven guilty. What Mahler is doing is, is contrary to God's command for how the left-hand kingdom is to be operated. It's plain and simple. It's absolutely contrary to it. And, uh, and so as Christians, we should not be buying into these, this quack pseudoscience or two calls for it, it basically accusing you know, people, giving them allegations of potential guilt without any due process whatsoever. So, you know, call me crazy, but uh, yeah, I, I'll take uh, Candace Owens as a, as a neighbor <laughs> without any qualms or worries whatsoever. None whatsoever. In fact, you know, if 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 uh, my adopt if my son wanted to you know marry her, you know, my son's already married, but you know, had had he dated her in college or something like that, and decided that he wanted to marry her, I'd have had no issues with it whatsoever. Nor should you, because eugenics is not science; it's quack, it's quack science. It's all designed to buttress and make hatred of one's neighbor look reasonable, scientific, uh, loving, and, well, almost wise. But it's not. We continue. There's more to consider here. I, I like this little meme that I put together. E eugenics is magic. It, it's just magic how it works. You just it, make an entire group guilty, guilty without any due process, right? All right. Um, as much as I want to do this, <laughs> let me come back to that, okay? Um, there's more that we could talk about. And you'll know, we're going to continue the series. We're, there's going to be several more episodes. Um, there, is, um, there is another doctrine that Mahler is into. 
And uh, and let me see if uh, let me find the, the 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 tweets on this one. See if I can hunt this down. No, that's not it. All right, I'm probably gonna have to go a different route on this. I know what I'll do. Hang on a second here. Just have to think. Have to think out loud. All right. The Operation Valkyrie uh, blog. Uh, if you are not subscribed to this, if you're not on, the, if you haven't looked, look, you know, subscribe to their Twitter feed or whatever you need to. Uh, this is a uh, this is a group of guys that are, are clearly fighting against the Mollerites and Marxists as well, and uh, they they put together uh, lots of different blog posts. And uh, this one I think is super timely. It's called the Flim Flam Scam called the Curse of Ham. Flim Flam Scam called the Curse of Ham. I think this is a good thing for us to consider. And uh, and here's the basic idea. Have you ever heard of the Curse of Ham? Well, Mahler is one of these guys who buys into the Curse of Ham. And it's a complete twisting of scripture. Okay, So at one of his tweets recently, Mahler said, Christ did not remove the Curse of Ham. Uh, the Hamites, Africans, are still under a curse. Okay, and then he goes on. This is something he posted yesterday. Scripture unambiguously states that blacks will be slaves. This is why I think he's calling for the re-enslavement of, of Africans in the United States. I, I cannot come to any other conclusion than that based on this tweet. And then he says, may, large in, may God enlarge Japheth, whites, and may he dwell in the tents of Shem, Christendom, and may Ham, blacks, be his slave, Noah, prophet, priest, and father of all the living. Here's the issue. The curse of Ham, it's totally a myth, and it's a twisting of scripture. In fact, this will be, this will be the second thing we'll focus on today, and we'll save the rest for another episode. But um, this article does a really good job of kind of pointing that out in depth. And, uh, and it starts with a quote from a book, and th this was the other book I thought you probably are going to want to read. Uh, the Curse of Ham in, early, in the Early Modern Era, The Bible and Justifications for Slavery, St. Andrew's Studies in Reformation History. Great book, not cheap, by the way. If you want the hardcover, it's almost 200 bucks, but you can get the, uh, the Kindle version. You can either rent it for 15 or, or buy it for 40 uh, but uh, it, it, it is... Mm, just a fantastic, fantastic book. And, uh, and so it starts with a quote here, and I thought this was actually pretty good. On the morning of the 10th of June, 1964, Robert Byrd, a former Klegel uh, of the West Virginia Ku Klux Klan, was concluding a 14-hour, 30-minute monologue on the floor of the United States Senate. His speech was part of a two-week-long filibuster of the United States Civil Rights Act. It was and remains the longest speech in the longest filibuster in the history of the Senate. Byrd had spoken all night, and as the morning broke, he turned to theology and the Bible. He was annoyed that ministers from across the country had filled his mailbox and jammed his phone lines in an attempt to exert pressure upon him in support of the act. He noted incorrectly, it should be added, that Virginia began importing slaves the same year that the King James Bible was published. Though he noted that he was not an expert in scripture, he said that he had spent considerable time searching to find the scriptural basis upon which we are implored to enact the proposed uh, uh, legislation. This is the Civil Rights Act. After concluding his search... 
He declared, I find none. In fact, he found the exact opposite. Jesus's parable of the 10 virgins convinced him that one must discriminate between the wise and the foolish. If all men are created equal, how can five of the virgins have been wise and five been foolish? To prove his point even more emphatically, he read from Genesis chapter 9, verses 18 through 27. He read it into the congressional record. To Bird, Genesis 9 meant that God had endorsed racial separation and discrimination. In using Genesis 9 to support segregation and the continuance of Jim Crow, Byrd was relying on the so-called curse of Ham. According to the mythology that developed around this story, Noah cursed his son Ham to perpetual slavery. Ham, according to Genesis 10, was the founder and father of Africa. Thus, Africans are an accursed race predestined by God to inferiority and slavery. Robert Byrd, who remains in the U.S. Senate in 2009, demonstrates that the curse of Ham has been used to support racial segregation and discrimination in the United States within living memory. So the curse of Ham, it's a flat-out myth. It just, it does not exist the way these folks say it is, okay? Um, and in fact, its origins are from the Middle Ages, and the first guy to kind of put this, uh, put this out there was a Roman Catholic Dominican friar and papal theologian named Annuus uh, Vertebo, Vert, uh, Viterbo, okay, I, I, don't know how to pronounce it, but you get the idea. And he was the one who initially came up with this idea of the curse of Ham. It's not actually based on sound exegesis. And then we just noted that Corey Mahler uh, most recently has affirmed his belief in the so-called curse of Ham. So this begs the question, does the Bible teach that the curse handed down by God through Noah in Genesis 9 is a curse on black people of African descent? The answer is not even close. So a careful reading of Genesis 9 demonstrates that those who are promoting the myth of the curse of Ham are twisting the scriptures and are completely missing the point what this curse is and what it truly pertains to. Now, let me pull this up in my Bible, because I think that would be a little bit easier to read from. And here's what it says in Genesis 9. Noah began to be a man of the soil. He planted a vineyard. This is after the flood. He drank the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, walked backward, and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan. Notice, the curse falls on who? Canaan. How many sons does Ham have? Four. We'll talk about that in a minute. Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. 
Again, Canaan is mentioned, not Ham. Fascinating stuff. But what's it all mean? Okay. So here's some four quick exegetical uh, insights. Number one, Noah blessed Shem and Japheth. And we'll talk about how Luther understands that blessing, because I think this is a very important point. And two, not all of Ham's sons were cursed. Okay. Uh, Ham had four sons. This would include Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. And only Canaan was cursed. Yep, and uh, the recent studies on Canaanite DNA show that they that DNA has found its way into the into both Arabs and Jews. Mm-hmm. Yep, the Canaanites' abundant wickedness proved the curse was warranted. As a result, they were enslaved by a coalition of Eastern kings, which will go to Genesis fourteen by the Israelites during their conquest, Joshua chapter nine, Judges chapter one, and by Solomon during his reign. This is cl- clearly how this played out. But number three, the curse on Ham's son was not about skin color, N- not at all. Okay, Noah's curse of Canaan was due to his sinful conduct, not his sin, his skin color. Uh, though most of Ham's sons and the cities they built, Babel, Nineveh, Sodom, Gomorrah, were marked by idolatry and immorality, Canaan was uniquely evil and defiled the land. See Leviticus 18. Uh, the Canaanites were cursed because they were evil-hearted, not because they were dark-skinned. In fact, recent scholarship has shown that the name Ham is not related to the Hebrew word or to any Semitic word even meaning dark. That's a, a myth as well. So, And then note, Ham wasn't the one who was really cursed. Uh, perhaps most glaring, there is no curse of Ham in Genesis 9. Mm-hmm. Uh, or anywhere else in the Bible. Canaan, not Ham, was cursed by Noah. And this means that the biblical doctrine used to justify the enslavement of dark-skinned peoples is completely fabricated and has no exegetical warrant. And again, that's actually borne out in the book, The uh, the, the Curse of Ham in the, in the Early Modern Era. It shows its true origin. It's not exegesis. It's, it's conjecture on the part of a Dominican theologic, theologian. Okay? So then as we continue reading through here then, most notably, and I would note this this then would apply to the Mollerites, Martin Luther doesn't agree with Corey Mahler either. Um, and so Martin Luther, he has a very, very great way of looking at this passage and what the true curse is. And, uh, and so if, if I can kind of point it out exegetically, I think it will, you'll kind of get what's going on. So Luther notes that the first the first thing here is that Shem is not the one who is blessed primarily. It the blessing is blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Shem isn't blessed. God blesses the God of Shem. Okay, that's that's gonna cue you in as to something going on here. This isn't talking about race or carnality. This is talking about faith. That's what this is about. This is about faith. This is not about carnal and temporal things. This is about spiritual and eternal things. Let Canaan be his servant. Okay, and Canaan is wicked here. But then may God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem. Well, if if, uh, Japheth is going to dwell in the tents of Shem, what tents are we talking about? The tents of the God of Shem, mm-hmm. which means 
the point is this, salvation is of the Jews, as Jesus says to the, uh, the Samaritan woman at the well. And it is, okay? It comes through the line of, of Shem, and it finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of David, right? And so the idea here is, is that this is not talking about temporal things or carnal things at all. This is really talking about spiritual realities. In fact, in Luther's view... Okay, in Luther's view, he makes a big point of saying the outcome proves that the promises and the curses of God in this chapter are to be understood not in a carnal sense concerning the present life, but in a spiritual sense. And that's most notable here then at the end is that Luther doesn't think that the descendants of Ham are black people. Instead, it says, if then because of their brief and small good fortunes in this life, Cain and Ham as the ancestors and the Pope and the Turk as their descendants. So because Luther sees that this is the curse is really pointing to not a physical reality, but a spiritual one, as a result of that, then who are the real descendants of Ham? heretics and those who deny Christ. And so he, he lists out the Roman papacy and the Turk, you know, the Muslims, as those who are the descendants of Ham, because he doesn't see this as pointing to anything genetic. That's the point. So, um, you know, and we'll put a link to this. We'll put a link to this uh, article down below in the sh- in this description of this video. And, uh, and, and, you know, the, the author notes then how, how tragic that Mr. Mahler and others like him are twisting this text to make it, a, make it about race, which is a purely carnal and incorrect understanding of the passage. It is also important to note that Dr. Luther believed that because this passage was referred to spiritual blessings and curses, he believed the descendants of Ham were the Pope and the Turk, not the Africans. As Garrett Kell writes, Satan is a master of scripture twisting. He is the deceiver behind false teachers who serve his purposes by disguising themselves as servants of righteousness. Given both its lack of exegetical warrant and its evil fruit, the curse of Ham interpretation can only be described as a doctrine of demons. And he's right. He's absolutely right. Now, for the sake of brevity, although I don't think we're almost up to an hour. <laughs> this is all we're going to cover. There will be future installments in the series as we continue to unpack and debunk the false ideology and false Bible twisting of uh, of Corey Mahler and his Nazi. It's, it's legitimately a Nazi ideology. In fact, in the next installment, I think it behooves me at this point to maybe do a little bit of work to explain to you what fascism is and where it comes from and do a little bit of work along those lines so that you can see that it is an ideology that denies the existence of the individual. And we'll talk about why that is also an error in the next installment. So hopefully you found this helpful. If so, all the information on how you can share the video is down below. And a quick shout out to those people who are our crew members. want to thank you for your financial support for Fighting for the Faith because you make it possible for us to do the research that I do and to put these videos out to go after those who are twisting God's words and hurting people in, in society through their false doctrines and, and, and people like the Mollerites, the Ken Copelandites, and others. So again, thank you because without you, we can't do what we're doing. So until next time, may God richly bless you and the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.